Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is George Cooper. I'm a medical writer and podcast host. And throughout this podcast, my guest, Dr. Pavan Najran, will be sharing some best practice tips when using the distal radial access method within the radiology space. Dr. Najran is a consultant clinical and interventional radiologist and clinical lead for interventional radiology at the Christie Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. So we are in very safe hands today. Dr. Najran, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Thank you very much for the invitation. And yes, I'm, I'm great. That's great to hear. Now, before we crack on, we should first mention that this medical education podcast has been supported by Merit Medical. We will be covering lots of ground today in quite a short space of time. Uh, but to summarise, we'll be discussing how Dr. Najran believes that the distal radio access method should be the default approach within radiology. We'll explore the benefits of the distal radio access method compared to the traditional radial um, method in relation to the patient experience. And we'll go through the method step by step where Dr. Najran will share some tips and some troubleshooting techniques. So yeah, we are uh, should be very informative here today. Let's get straight into it. Um, so Dr. Najran, what, what is the distal radial method? How, how, do, how do you describe it in a nutshell? Um, it's relatively straightforward, actually. So it is accessing the vessel um, a little bit further distal than your traditional radial method. So the radial artery itself uh, bifurcates close to the wrist into a palmar and a distal branch. And the distal branch sits in the anatomical snuff box. So it's a relatively easy area to access. Um, and by accessing this vessel, you're able to then get the sheath in towards the radial artery and then go on to perform uh, any intravascular procedures you uh, plan on doing. And see, how can this be used um, within the radiology space? Uh, the, the method is talked a lot within sort of cardiology, but how it, specifically in radiology can it be utilised? Interestingly, it's completely applicable um, from both the cardiology uh, space into the radiology space. So there are numerous benefits from going uh, to a distal method. And they include accessing a smaller vessel. So your risks in terms of bleeding um, are a lot less. Um, in addition to that, ergonomically, it's more comfortable for the patient as well. So in the radiology space, our procedures are, are a lot longer um, than the cardiology space, meaning that patient comfort is really important as well. So if anybody listening to the podcast, if you try and uh, lie your hand uh, with, palmer, with your palmar surface facing up towards the ceiling for long periods of time, you are going to get a little bit of tenderness around the elbow, and that's simply because your muscles naturally want to move your hand into the position where you would actually access the vessel in the distal radial method, i.e. your thumb facing up towards the ceiling. So we are moving that ergonomic benefit um, of the patient into the procedure, meaning they can actually lie still for longer periods of time. And from my own practice, I found that that's been a huge benefit to my patients. Um, a lot of interventional oncology procedures go on for, for a substantial amount of time. So patient comfort is essential. Um, in terms of the setup and the, the room setup and your equipment, it's a completely applicable from the radial method. Um, so similar sheaths, uh, similar access needles and wires. The only difference is we are shifting towards a slightly different puncture site. 
I see. I remember when we were speaking before recording the podcast, you said that it's the little things that's the patient comfort which makes it uh, advantageous to use this method over a more traditional method. I remember you said that um, the patient feedback that you get, that even just the allowing for the ability to pick up and have a cup of tea is so much easier using this method. And um, it seems that it, yeah, the pa- ultimately the patient experience is better when using um, distal radio, would you say? Absolutely. Um if you try and put yourself in the patient's position, I think that's the most important thing whenever we talk about any new procedures or methods of doing a procedure, put yourself into the patient's uh, position. Little things like having the ability to pick up a drink after the procedure. I don't know if many of the people who are listening to the podcast have actually had a band around the wrist where your traditional radial artery access uh, would have their hemostasis band positioned. It can be quite tight and in some cases a little bit uncomfortable because the pressure has to be applied to ensure we've got hemostasis. Now if we shift that band towards the thumb area you have the ability to free up the index finger and thumb as well as the rest of the fingers meaning that using things like a mobile phone so they can ring uh, loved ones after the procedure or picking up a cup cup of coffee or even having a meal is a little bit more straightforward. So it means you're just removing a little elements of discomfort after a procedure. It just makes it a lot more comfortable and pleasant for the for the patient as well. Yeah, all these things add up, you know, incredibly important. Let's jump now into a bit of a step-by-step. Um, I know a lot of uh, radiologists listening will be uh, keen, to, keen to hear your methods. Um, so just how do you perform the distal radio method from, from you know, the, the start until, um, until the end? The key um, is actually the setup. So your traditional radial method, you would have the uh, palmar surface of the of the hand facing up towards the ceiling, and you would flex the wrist, um, extend the wrist, sorry, to ensure that you're opening up the radial space. Now with a distal approach, you're going to have the thumb facing towards the ceiling. And what I tend to do is put a glove on the patient's hand and just drag it down a little bit. So it means that your thumb is in very close contact to to your index finger and that opens up the anatomical snuff box and it moves a lot of the tendons out of the way um, which are traditionally overlying the vessel and that ensures that your space around the vessel uh, is a lot more open. Then the key is that you get good analgesia and GTN infiltrated around the vessel as well. Now with the distal method you should always use ultrasound if that is available to you. And that's simply because it's a slightly smaller vessel um, and it's in a position where it may not be palpable. Um, I know a lot of cardiologists are able to palpate the radial artery and it's relatively straightforward to anesthetize and and apply the sheath. But we're talking about a vessel that's slightly smaller and in a position where there are other structures which you want to try to avoid, including veins. So the important Mm -hmm. thing is once you've located the vessel and you've got that window, is to infiltrate that GTN and local anesthetic cocktail. I use um, nine mils of 1% lignocaine and 100 mics of GTN. And I apply it either side of the vessel in a very methodical method to ensure that I'm opening up the soft tissue around the artery. Now, the reason I do that is because you want that sort of cocktail of GTN and local anesthetic to bathe the vessel. That's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to anesthetize the area, ensuring that you've got comfort for the patient but also it's going to dilate the vessel. So that direct contact of the GTN is going to ensure that vessel gets a lot bigger. Now, with all radiology procedures, a bigger target's an easier target. So it ensure that your puncture 
is going to be in the correct position. Now I normally let things settle for about a minute or so and at that point I'm, I'm messing about with the trolley getting things ready uh, and trying to stand still as an interventional radiologist for a minute is actually quite difficult so try and <laughs> occupy yourself with other methods uh, setting up a trolley getting your sheath ready getting your wires ready and then once you're ready to go um, under ultrasound guidance and you want to hit the 12 o'clock position of the vessel. Now, I always apply a transverse uh, approach when I'm puncturing the artery, and that's simply because it's a smaller target. So if you apply a longitudinal approach, you may be, may go subintimal. So you want to be at 12 o'clock when you're puncturing this vessel. And once you're in, you should see a nice flow of, of blood coming out of the needle, and it should be a consistent flow. So it's very easy to move the needle, meaning you fall in a subintimal space, but your flow will stop immediately. So if you do see that, it might be worth just doing a quick ultrasound to make sure he's still intraluminal. And then I pop the wire in. Now, the important thing about the wire, it's an 018 system. If you feel any resistance, you must stop straight away because you're not quite in the right position. Quick ultrasound to readjust your position and then pop the wire in. If it goes without any resistance, you're going to be intraluminal and that's absolutely fine. If you want to make sure you can ultrasound uh, with a wire in situ just to ensure you're in an intraluminal space. Um, once all that is done, you then are ready for the sheath. So the important thing about the sheath is that it's a hydrophilic system um, and with a little bit of skin traction, you may get someone who scrubbed in with you to apply that. You then push the sheath in through the skin Try to avoid making a nick in the skin because if you do uh, do that, particularly with a hydrophilic sheath, it's very easy for the sheath to come out while you're doing your procedure. And once you've got the sheath in situ, I then infiltrate a cocktail through the side arm of the sheath, which consists of 200 mics of GTN and 5,000 units of heparin. And that just ensures that I'm maintaining a good a dilated vessel and I've heparinized the vessel to ensure I'm not going to cause thrombosis and that's really it in terms of applying the um, the sheath within the vessel. I, I can picture various radiologists furiously scribbling down notes whilst listening to that but I mean the benefit of it being a podcast is that you can pause and go back but thank you very much for that very succinct um, introduction and step-by-step -step guide. Um, they're fantastic. I mean, anat anatomically speaking, uh, do you have any tips for uh, our listeners on, on, on particular areas you want to avoid? I'm thinking traversing veins and, um, you know, potential risks of fissionation. Yeah, there are, there have been a few case reports. Um, and we were talking very small numbers of cases where a direct puncture through a vein into an artery has resulted in a fistula, um, which theoretically is, is possible. The simple thing to even to avoid that situation is you avoid um, puncturing through the vein. So what you'd have to do is, and what I do is I give a large volume of gel on top of the puncture site and just rest the probe on. Don't apply too much pressure because it's very easy to compress the vein and you'll miss it's even there. Uh, so a very, very gentle pressure when you're ultrasounding and finding the window of puncture. Uh, and then by doing that, you'll be, be able to identify those veins, which potentially could be troublesome. Also, when you're injecting your local anesthetic and GTN cocktail, you don't really want to be injecting that cocktail around any veins or potentially in intraluminal space. So by identifying those very peripheral veins in that region, you can avoid that. The other thing uh, I would always recommend is, again, having uh, your drapes and your glove, which I normally apply on the hand, in a position where you are opening up the anatomical snuff box as much as possible. So again, 
pushing the thumb down uh, and towards the index finger means you just open up that space as much as possible. Sometimes I put an extra drape over the thumb and index finger to again apply that and to open things up. Um, and you'd be surprised how much you can move tendons and structures out of the way by just moving uh, the thumb and index finger around. So the key is to take time um, when you're doing your initial ultrasound to get a plan in your head about where you're actually going to puncture. What I also do is I do apply a little bit of local anesthetic and GTN around the uh, main radial artery. And that's simply because if I go to do a distal radial approach and for whatever reason, if I'm not able to access it, the radial artery is already anesthetized and GTN applied and it's ready to go. So you can always revert to a traditional radial approach if there has been an issue in the uh, distal radial puncture. So that's another key. And it also just eliminates a couple of minutes of the procedure. Uh, you can go straight for the radial puncture. Do you have any tips on how to keep the wire in place when you're um, throughout the procedure? You mentioned if you if you some there's a debate about to nick or not to nick, and you you opt for not not to not because it keeps the wire in place. Do you have any other? Because I've I've um, throughout reading in the research this podcast, it seems that uh, some radiologists find uh, have issue with movement of the of the wire. Do you have anything that you do? Oh, absolutely. So I've I've uh, initially I did used to nick the skin uh, because the skin over the an uh, anatomical snuff box is slightly thicker than it is around the your traditional radial uh, area and it is a little bit easier to put the sheath in but I've had a couple of cases where the you've you've seen migration of the sheath because it's hydrophilic so what I actually do is don't nick the skin apply the sheath in but then I place a tecoderm which is a very clear dressing adhesive dressing over the whole system so over the end of the sheath and over the puncture site and what you can then do is make a small nick around where the hub of the sheath is meaning that you've stuck everything down to the skin surface but there is access for you to uh, access the hub of the sheath in order for you to place your catheters and wires and that ensures that the sheath isn't going to come out when you're manipulating your catheters and wires through the procedure because as a radiologist and everyone listening to this you're concentrating on the screen and a lot of a lot of the time you're not looking down at the sheath you're trying to concentrate on the procedure you're performing so it's very easy for things to migrate out without you noticing so a very simple adhesive clear dressing applied over the sheath hub and a little uh, nick where the hub is allows you to gain access to it and you're sticking the sheath uh, onto the skin surface brilliant yeah seem makes makes total sense do you have any tips for our listeners when it comes to achieving homeostasis or what, what's the protocol that that you use yeah um and the the beauty of the distal radials because it's a little bit smaller and also you're closer to the underlying bone so you can get good compression of the vessel um i normally put in about three millim, uh, mils of air into the bloom which is the um the the device i use to to compress the vessel but the key is you don't want to completely compress it you want to ensure you've still got flow within the vessel but you're achieving hemostasis. So what, what you want to do is have as little air in the balloon as possible. So I start off with three mils, apply the, the, uh, the, the device, and actually take a mil or half a mil of air out and look for any bleeding. Now, if there's any bleeding, I put that half a mil of air back in. Once I've got to a point where I've got hemostasis and I've got as minimal amount of air in the balloon as possible, I then remove a mil of air every 10 minutes. Um, so, for example, if I've started off with three mils of air, that's 30 minutes until it's completely deflated. We then leave the device on for another half an hour. 
meaning that actually the whole system can be removed uh, within an hour. Now, we have a convenient setup um, where we are able to have a recovery bay next to our intervention suite. And by the time the patient's ready to be transferred to the ward, the device is, is ready to be removed. So um, this is a protocol which we've played with over time. Um, and where we've, we traditionally started off with large volumes of air, but we've noticed that it wasn't required, um, particularly with the distal radial approach. So in most cases, within the hour, the, the band can be removed. That's brilliant. Yeah. So you, you, you said that you know, um, the patient can be immediately discharged once the band is off. Is that that's right? Yeah. Um, depending on what procedure we've done, uh, some procedures do require us to do scans after the procedure. Um, some patients are... Uh, will be staying overnight for various reasons. But when we talk about day case procedures, the limiting factor is your device, which is compressing the vessel. Um, and in those cases, if we get the band off as quickly as possible, the patient's ready to be discharged at that stage. So it's really applicable in the day case setting. If you truly want a day case procedure, then a distal approach has to be considered because you can uh, limit the hemostasis time significantly post-procedure. And that's your, that's your limiting factor with a lot of day case procedures. So the patients can be discharged a lot quicker. Brilliant. I mean, that's an economical, ergonomical um, advantage. Are there, are there any others in terms of just the, the running of your practice that you feel any other advantages that is um, that distal has in terms of the amount of patients that you're able to see? Um, yeah, I, I also, there are cases where we are a little bit worried about ischemia to the hand. Um, right. So your hand has, and a lot of the uh, people who are listening to this podcast know that there's an ulnar and a radial supply. So you do have a collateral supply from the ulnar artery. And in majority of cases, the, the ulnar is strong enough to ensure that we're not worried about ischemia to the hand if there have been any issues with the radial artery. However, um, in those cases where the ulnar artery may not be strong enough to collateralize to the thumb and index finger, um, the distal approach is something that should be considered in those cases. And that's simply because your radial artery bifurcates into two vessels and your, your main palmar branch is supplying the majority of the thumb and index finger. So it means for those who are a little bit more worried about ischemia, the distal approach removes that worry a little bit more because you are puncturing the vessel distal to where the radial artery bifurcates into a further supply to the thumb and index finger. So it eliminates uh, a little bit more worry with regards to the ischemic risk to the hand. Now, I've not seen any cases in, in our practice of ischemia to the to the hand with a traditional radial approach, but in, in some cases, particularly in the uh, renal setting, it has to be considered and if there is any worry about it then a distal approach is something that should be adopted hmm. i mean is are there any other ways that uh, from your experience uh, just talking to patients in your in your practice where you feel the distal radial method has an advantage over the traditional radial method in terms of you know the feedback from the patient's uh, experience and comfort. We've already touched upon um, some uh, aspects of it in terms of uh, the more natural positioning and uh, and being able to drink a cup of tea. Are there any, is there anything else that you hear from patients on a on a regular basis? I think the 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 key thing is is um, the hemostasis time. So mm. uh, what we've uh, there have been a few patients where I've actually done a radial artery approach initially because of the nature of the patients that we see in um, my institution uh, they come back for repeated procedures, 
So I have the luxury of comparing um, directly with a single patient different, different methods of access. So I've had patients who have had a traditional radial approach, which they've they found very straightforward with, with no issues. But when I've reverted to a distal approach, the immediate response is how quick the hemostasis um, protocol is post-procedure. And actually, the, again, touching on the ergonomics, it's, it can't be understated as to how easy uh, it is for patients to um, go about their daily activities post-procedure. I mean, I remember one patient pointing to their tiny nick around the thumb to say that you did the entire procedure through this tiny little nick. And I said, yep, it, it was all done. And uh, and that that's satisfying in itself, really, to say that the patient found it far more comfortable um, and was able to do things like phone relatives um, immediately afterwards um without having any tenderness around the wrist area um so we we've got the luxury of comparing actually from femoral to radial to distal in single patients and uh in terms of comparing femoral to distal radial approach which i've had in one patients they they quoted that i can quote them um saying that it's night and day in terms of how they recovered how easy it was for them how they were able to walk around the room post procedure um, so uh, I think it has had a significant impact on multiple points um, uh, for patients themselves. With all this in mind, what what would be your message to physicians who uh, who say that they don't see the benefit of the distal radio method within the radiology space? Because um, there are, it's uh, there are, it does have its um, sort of critics. Oh, absolutely. I think I think with any method, there's there's going to be some uh critics and i i can see where um particularly in the radiology setting this the resistance to to move from one method to another because if you are used to a certain method and you've had no apparent issues then you're wondering why you are approaching a different way now my answer to that would be that um if you are doing a procedure you want to do it uh to apply the maximum comfort to the patient after the procedure and we have a method now where it's it's far more comfortable for the patient they can go home quicker and the complications are less meaning that we can move from a if if it was a center that did rate uh, that did femoral or traditional radial um moving from femoral to radial is a relatively big jump moving from radial to distal radial is a relatively small jump because your only difference is you're going further down the vessel and you may need to ultrasound if you don't initially um and you are the benefits to your to your to your trust and your setup is that your nursing time is significantly less because your hemostasis times less your patient experience is a heck of a lot better and that's coming from my own sort of anecdotal experience um and you can apply it to a day case setting so if you're in a center where you really want to apply the day case uh, activity then you need something that has a much shorter hemostasis and a distal is is far better for that you're pulling together a, a very compelling case, uh, Dr. Ashran. So thank you for that. Um, before we wrap up, I just we did promise that we were going to uh, cover some troubleshooting. We've already spoken, um, you know, uh, touched upon this in certain areas. But are there any other common problems that you've come across whilst attempting the distal radio method, and that you've um, that you'd like to share and, and just counteract and um, offer uh, how you overcome these common issues? I think one of the the main issues I've come across is the room setup. So a lot of centers 
may not have access to the left side of the patient. Um, and a lot of uh, physicians would say, well, immediately that's a no to to radial or even a distal radial approach. So the, the benefit of a distal radial approach because of the way the patient's hand lies, you could potentially access the distal radial from the right side of the patient by draping the arm over the patient. And there are arm boards available now from, from multiple um, uh, manufacturers where that it's especially designed to do that. So that's one thing I've, I've come across. Um, another thing is, again, it's ultrasound. It, the, the key is you, you do need uh, an ultrasound approach when you're going through a distal radial, and that's simply because it's not palpable. Um, so what I would say to those who would say that they may not have ultrasound access, the, the key really is by applying the ultrasound, you, you'd benefit um, the procedure both from a radial and a distal radial approach. So if you're able to get that on board in your practice, I think it's significantly better, better for both accesses. Um, and that's really it. The beauty from, I mean, if you're a radial center, the beauty from moving from radial to distal radial is very straightforward. You're just rotating the hand 90 degrees and actually the remainder of the procedure is exactly the same. Fantastic. Great. So, I mean, amazing tips there for, for room setup. Um, a, a few people, a few physicians um, have questions. What, what can you do if, if there's a thrombosis in the distal artery? Um, and that's, again, another advantage for a distal radial artery approach. If you do have thrombosis for whatever reason, um, a lot of IO patients um, would are, are more susceptible to thrombosis. You've still got the radial artery to access. So it means that you're not removing that radial approach for the patient's procedure. So, for example, a lot of my patients come back for repeated procedures. So if there are any issues for the distal for their second procedure, I can always revert to a traditional radial method. So... If anything, it adds another potential benefit. The key for avoiding thrombosis in the first place is to ensure you heparinize the patients appropriately. So make sure you top up the patient um, at the beginning of the procedure with the 5,000 units of heparin. Uh, you can also apply heparin via weight as well, which is another method I know a number of centers use. Uh, what I tend to also use is a, an additional 1,000 units of heparin every hour. The procedure is prolonging. Um, uh, some of our procedures do go on for a lot longer. So that's another method of reducing the chance of thrombosis. Brilliant. I mean, Dr. Najran, thank you so much for your time today. We've covered a lot of ground there. It's been an incredibly informative discussion. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask whether there were any, what would, what would you say were the key take-home messages for our listeners today that you would like them to uh, to move forward with following uh this podcast i think the key thing is is to what is to ensure whatever you do in your practice is to do in the best interest of the patient so going for a distal radial approach is just far better for the patient in terms of their experience of the procedure and also their potential risks of doing a procedure in the first place if you're a radial center it's a very straightforward transition from radial to distal it is a matter of rotating the wrist 90 degrees um and actually all of the rules apply. And if you can, use ultrasound because I think it will ensure a much more accurate puncture of the vessel. Dr. Najran, thank you so much for your time today. That's okay, thank you very much.
And that concludes today's discussion. Thank you so much to Dr. Pavan Najram for joining me today and sharing his knowledge and expertise with our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to subscribe to the EMJ wherever you get your podcasts. We release a new episode every Friday, as well as plenty of bonus episodes like this one. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now.